0: Of John, the fourth chapter, please, is where we'll find our text this evening. John, chapter number four, and um, we're again uh, looking forward, of course, to our missions conference, which begins this coming Wednesday night. And uh, it felt like the Lord was was leading me uh, in preparation this week to take a break from the series that we've been in in the book of Proverbs, and uh, to spend just a little bit of time trying to prepare our church, if we can, uh, for this particular event, the Faith Promise. A missions conference. And so uh, that's why we're we're in the book of John tonight as opposed to where uh, we might normally be. And I'd like for you, if you would, to look with me in verse number 35 of John chapter number 4. Uh, John 4 in verse number 35. Where the Bible says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already. To harvest, And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I'd like to call to your attention from the 35th verse a phrase that will serve as sort of the theme for our conference this year. And that phrase is this. Lift up your eyes. Many of you, of course, are aware that our theme this year as a church is our eyes are upon thee from the book of 2 Chronicles. And so we're sort of trying to capitalize off of that particular theme and and trying to keep that in our minds and in front of us, this idea of lift up your eyes. You know, Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3 in verse number 51, these words. He wrote, mine eye affecteth mine heart. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He had the unenviable task of ministering during a very dark time in which the nation of Judah was overcome by a foreign enemy and taken, first of all, into Egypt, many of them into captivity, and eventually many of them taken into Babylon as a result of the Babylonian Empire and the Babylonian captivity. And during all of this time, their cities were destroyed, and and, and again, there was much heartache and much heartbreak during the kingdom during this point. Seeing all of this unfold with his own eyes, he he wrote that mine eye affecteth mine heart. It impacted him deeply. Jeremiah was broken emotionally because of what he had seen unfold and the, uh, the atrocities and the horrors of, uh, of people being ripped from their families and ripped from their homes and of whole cities being destroyed and being leveled and people saying goodbye to family and friends that they might never see again. And he watched all of these things happening. He said, mine eye affecteth mine heart. Well, Beginning on Wednesday of this week, we will host our annual Faith Promise Missions Conference and I just want you to know, I can't think of a more important thing taking place anywhere in town this week than that. Uh, I, I I want you to know, this, what we're doing this week, beginning on Wednesday night, is more important than a ball game. It's more important than a ball game. It's more important than a television program. It's more important than a exercise class or some other personal hobby that we might like to engage in. Listen, it's more important than any of those things. And here's what I'm saying. I believe, church family, or member of this church, I believe it is imperative that you attend. I believe it's imperative that you bring your children with you and pray for the Lord to move mightily. Listen, it's in a conference like this in which we have an opportunity to lift up our eyes and see the condition of the world and understand that God has a global work that's happening all around this world. Someone once said of the Great Commission that it was Christ's last command. And it should be our first concern. Someone else said of the missions conference that it was a business meeting of the church that, in which the church would decide the fate of the world. I've heard someone put it sort of like this. They said that God only had one son and he made him to be a missionary. And we could go on and on sharing clever little quotes like that. But the truth is, listen, the truth is missions and the work of world evangelism and a missions conference in a local church is a big, big deal. The bigger something is to us, the more of our attention it should get. For the believer, you'll have a difficult time, listen, you'll have a difficult time identifying anything worthy of more of your attention than the cause of world evangelism. I must tell you the devil is masterful at causing us to be complacent. one of his one of his best tricks he's not necessarily he's not i don't know that he's necessarily out to make us wicked he'll be satisfied if he can simply lead us to be disinterested and disengaged if he can if he can cause us just to listen that's why that's why the lord jesus christ the book of revelation he, he said listen i wish you were hot i wish you were cold he says, what you are is you're lukewarm. He says, you're, you're disinterested. You're disengaged. You're, you're haphazard. You're lax in your passion for, for me and for spiritual truth. Here's what the missions conference is. The missions conference is a meeting that is designed to arrest your attention and to reinvigorate you in the cause of world evangelism. The Bible says in Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Acts 1 and verse number 8, Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, here's the question tonight. Have we gone into all of the world? Have we done that? Are we preaching the gospel? Are we truly preaching the gospel to every creature? Do we, and, and, and do we care? Listen, do we care? Because I've got to be honest with you. The answer to both of those questions is no. The answer to both of those questions is no. We're really not, we're really not reaching the whole world. I'm going to share some statistics with you in just a moment to indicate or to help you understand. We're really not doing what Christ has commissioned us to do. And that leads us to the, to this, to the greater question. And the greater question is this. Do we care that we haven't accomplished these things? Does it matter to us? Does it bother us? Do we, do we lose sleep over the fact that there are people all around the globe who have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel? Think about this. He's given us more than two millennia. With which to accomplish this task, and I would say that we might be, we might be I, I wouldn't say definitively or authoritatively that we are, but we might be further away from accomplishing this task than we have ever been. Did you know that they tell us that there are 7.83 billion people alive on planet Earth today, and that number grows more and more each passing day. This is staggering. Just that thought of seven, almost eight billion people on planet Earth is staggering up itself. But I think this might even be more staggering. They tell us that 42%, 42% of 7.83 billion people, that, that is 3.29 billion people are unreached. So what does that mean? What does that mean, they're unreached? Does it just mean that they're not saved? That might be sort of what we would think when we hear that term unreached. No, no. The term unreached, it doesn't just mean that they're lost. It means this, that that, that there is no no gospel preaching influence anywhere near them. They don't have a copy of the word of God in their language. And if if they did, it might even be illegal for them to have something like that. There's no gospel preaching church that's lifting up the name of Jesus. So we say that there's 3.29 billion people that are unreached. We're not just saying there's 3.29 billion people that are unsaved. Listen, the number of unsaved is far north of 3.29 billion. The 3.29 billion tells us that that's the amount of people, that's the number of people that have no gospel influence in their lives whatsoever. It's staggering to me. Here's what's even more staggering. Churches are spending 99% of their missions budget on reached people groups. And they're only spending approximately 1% on the areas of our world that remain unreached. We've We've asked my dad to be the keynote speaker for this conference, and of course he's working specifically with the Spiritual Leadership Asia. And as a church, we have really taking a lead in this effort and trying to do what we can to print Bibles and get Bibles distributed into that part of the world. We're calling it the Asia Bible Project. And I wanted you to know, church family, that with our Christmas offering and another generous gift that was given just, just around the end of last year and the beginning of this year, as a church, we gave $60,000 to that Asia Bible Project. Here's what's exciting to me. Since that time, as word has begun to spread that we're doing this, and because of my dad's travels, that sort of thing, the number actually is up over $100,000 that has been given. Much of that money has already been sent to places in which we're beginning now to print the Scriptures, and it won't be long, Lord willing, within the within the next year those Bibles will land on foreign soil and they'll begin to be distributed. And to me, that is absolutely thrilling. And I want you to understand that when we talk about this idea of 3.29 billion people, the vast majority of them are in that 1040 window. Many of those countries are Muslim countries in which it's illegal in many respects to stand and to preach the gospel and to win souls to Christ and to baptize people and to preach in the name of Jesus can I say that again, these areas remain unreached. And some of this, again, is due to the fact that some of these countries are closed to the gospel. But I, want you, I was struck by this thought this week. Did you, did you know that Jerusalem was closed to the gospel as well? It wasn't exactly, it wasn't exactly a, an appropriate thing to stand on the streets of Jerusalem and open up a Bible and proclaim, thus saith the Lord. But that didn't stop the apostles from doing it, did it? And we can, we can sit back and we can say, well, it's too bad. Feel sorry for those 3.29 billion people, but what are you going to do? It just so happens that they were born into a closed country, or we can or we can say, you know what? It doesn't matter whether it's a closed country. Those people need to hear the gospel just as much as anybody needs to hear the gospel. May God, may God help us. May God help us to step up in, in boldness and faithfulness. I'm just telling you, these things should greatly disturb us. We should hear these things, and we should struggle to sleep at night, but most of the time, most of the time, we, all of us, myself included, are complacent when we read statistics like this. The goal of the missions conference is to wake us up as a church. Can I say this? We won't wake up unless we're we're present. Not just sitting in the pew this week, but engaged in this meeting with an open mind, an open mind that says, Lord, what would you have me to do and an open heart? Christ's example in John 4 is the standard, I believe, for mission activity. His life, of course, is the standard for all things related to the Christian life, right? He is the standard. As we read the life of Christ, we discover in him everything that we ought to demand in ourselves. Christ reminds us, own followers, his own apostles, the the disciples, the the followers of Christ who are with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he reminds them, this this is how prevalent this problem can be, he reminds them to not lose sight of their purpose here on this earth. I just want you to know that if they struggled in this area walking with him and engaging with him on a daily basis and seeing him as he ministered to the to the the crowds of people, if they lost sight of the purpose of world evangelism and reaching people with the gospel, well, we might assume that we sometimes perhaps will struggle in the same area. Christ's example and teaching give us a pattern to follow if we hope to reach this world. I want to share with you five or six things I find in our text that I believe are essential if we're going to reach the world. And I think they're found here in this text and they're found in the life of Christ. Number one... Number one, to reach our world, we must embrace inconvenience. To reach our world, we must embrace inconvenience. Would you look with me in verse number four of John chapter number four? The Bible tells us that Jesus, in verse number three, had left Judea, left the city of Jerusalem, and he departed again into Galilee. And so he's traveling from the south of the nation of Israel at that point in time to the north And uh, he's actually traveling northeast. And notice what the Bible says about this route. Verse number four, And he must needs go through Samaria. The road from Jerusalem and Judea to Galilee went right through this region known as Samaria. I'm given to understand that some Jews would would actually, out of spite and out of hatred for the Samaritans, would actually take a much longer route along the east side of the Jordan River in order to avoid having to pass through Samaria. It was an inconvenience in many respects to have to travel from Judea to Galilee because you had to go through Samaria, which was a dreaded option, or you had to take a longer, a longer route to avoid it, which is another dreaded option. What I want you to notice and consider is that Christ was not focused on the inconvenience of this. No, no. Instead, he was looking for a way to capitalize on the inconvenience and make it profitable for his kingdom. In other words, here's the, here's the spirit of Christ. Of course, he loved the Samaritans just like he loved the Jewish people. And, and, and Jesus is saying, listen, if I've got to go through Samaria, I might as well, I might as well make something happen while I'm there. He embraced the inconvenience of going through a place that most of those that were uh, his contemporaries and his peers would have, would have dreaded and would have tried to fly through Samaria as fast as they could go. I thought to myself as I was preparing for this message, I, I'm reminded of how many times I allow inconvenient things to distract me. I, um, I don't suppose there's probably just about anything more inconvenient than going to get get a new tank of gas and um, slipping your card into the card reader there and pulling it out real fast and trying to wait for the whole thing to get going and then to finally be told, oh, you have to go inside to complete the transaction. Is there anything in the world more annoying than that? I mean, we've just, we've just grown so accustomed to being able to pay at the pump, you know, that to take the few extra steps, and I'm, I'm usually grumbling and complaining all the way in there. I bet, I bet somebody's going to be in front of me and they're buying six big gulps and they've got a bunch of Snickers bars and ice cream and it's going to take forever to ring them up and all, I, and, and all because a stupid pump won't work. And I'm just telling you that sometimes I get really frustrated with that kind of stuff. It's an inconvenience, isn't it? And, it's, and, and it can be a little annoying and frustrating. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder, I wonder how often the Lord made my pump not work so that I would go in and have an opportunity to offer a smile to someone behind the desk. And something even much more valuable than that, maybe have an opportunity to pull a gospel track out of my pocket and to hand it to them. I'm just simply saying, listen, if we're gonna reach the world, we're gonna have to embrace inconvenience. Listen, going through Samaria was, was sort of a dreaded option, and yet Jesus, Jesus said, listen, if I'm gonna go through Samaria... I'm going to meet with somebody, I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to find someone that I can share the gospel with. And I'm just thinking that in this day and age in which we're living, in which everything is so convenient, life is so convenient, that it doesn't take a whole lot of inconvenience to sort of throw us off in some respects. I just wonder every once in a while if maybe those inconveniences aren't God-ordained appointments. that would cause us an opportunity or give us an opportunity to share our faith. Is there anything more inconvenient than when you've got a, an appliance that's down in your home or some electrical issue that's not working? And, and maybe just maybe God is allowing you to call some type of a handyman, someone who can come into your home. And not, they're, not there to, they're not necessarily there to uh, overall purpose. They're not just there to fix the electricity in your home. Maybe they're there because, because God wants them exposed to a Bible-believing Christian. And may God help us. If we're going to reach the world, may may we be willing to embrace inconvenience. That's what Christ did. He took inconveniences and he turned them into opportunities. And I'm just simply saying, listen, if you have to travel through Samaria, and we all do from time to time, we might as well embrace it and look for ways to share Christ while we're there. Notice, secondly, to reach our world, not only must we embrace inconvenience, but to reach our world, we must engage with the undesirable. We must engage with the undesirable. Look in verse number nine. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, speaking of Jesus, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Not only did they travel through Samaria, but Christ Christ stopped there for a time. His stop in Sychar, which is the name of the town that he would land in for a period of time, meant, meant that the disciples had to go into the city to purchase food for them to eat, according to verse number eight. And while they were on the errand of purchasing, purchasing food, Jesus was sitting by the well. You see, you see Jesus had an appointment. And I just want you to know that sometimes following Christ might lead us to some undesirable places and maybe even to some people that we might consider to be undesirable as well. Christ sat by the well and he waited patiently for his appointment to show up. Here's what's interesting. He was the only one that knew there was an appointment that day. Samaritan woman, she had no idea. In fact, in fact, she had gone to the well. She had gone to the well. As far as we know, she had gone there at the time of day that she did, because she was trying, she was trying not to see anybody there. Little did she know. Little did she know that there was someone there who was waiting for her. Someone she had never met before, but someone who knew everything there was to know about her. This woman came walking out to the well, hoping, hoping to be anonymous, uh, hoping for anonymity. And yet, when she arrived, she thought to herself, oh great, somebody's here. And maybe she thought, well, it's no big deal, he's a stranger, I've never seen him before, I should be okay. Little did she know, right? She showed up, the Bible says, and, and she was the one that he had been waiting to meet with. And as he began his conversation with her, she was sort of taken aback that, uh, that, that he would speak to her according to verse number nine. She was sort of blown away by this. You see, Christ did not see her as a Samaritan. He did not see her as an adulterer. He did not see her as an undesirable. No, no, he saw her as a human being. He saw her as a being created in the image of God with an eternal soul who needed redemption. See, Jesus saw beyond some of the things that oftentimes you and I see. Oh, we see, yeah, we can see the race of an individual. We can see the way that they're dressed and the way that they present themselves. And we can see maybe where it is that they live or what kind of car they drive or, or again, how they present themselves, the outward facade. But may God help us. May God help us to engage with every person, understanding, you know, this person may be undesirable in the world's eyes, but this person is loved by Almighty God. Jesus, Jesus didn't look at people as being undesirable. Can I say that we will never reach our world unless we're willing to go to those that we might, maybe because of the way that we were raised or where we live, whatever the case might be, that we might consider to be undesirable. Notice thirdly, to reach our world, we must be enamored with doing God's will. If we're gonna reach our world, we must be enamored, we must be passionate Passionate, so, so focused on doing God's will. Look with me in verse number 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. So he had had this conversation with this woman and he had identified really who he was. He had, he had told some things to her about her that caused her to understand he is who he said he is. Uh, else, how would he know this about me? We've never met before. And yet he's speaking very clearly to me and to where I am in life. And, and she had left for a time. She had gone into the city to communicate with the people that were there. And, 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 and the disciples during that time, they had returned. And they brought with them food and they urged Christ to eat. And he responded. Look, look at the Bible text. It says, Master, eat, verse 32. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? So they're sitting here going, well, who, who brought him food while we were gone? He, he's already eaten, He's not hungry. He, he's, he's full. He's rejecting what we've, what we've brought for him to eat. Look in verse number 34. Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. See, Jesus responded that, Listen, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not interested in that stuff right now. Jesus said, "Let me tell you what satisfies. Let me tell you what makes me content. It's not the earthly pleasures. It, it, it's not, it's not a, a, a steak dinner. It's not more money." It's not more possessions, it's not a better job or or, or an advancement in my career. No, no. Jesus said, "My me what satisfies me, what fulfills me, what drives me is to do the will of the Father which is in heaven." And I'm just here to tell you, listen, we will never, we will never reach this world. It's no wonder we haven't reached this world. How many may come close to reaching this world because we really aren't all that interested in doing the will of the Father. Because the will of the Father is very clearly laid out for us. Go into all the world and preach And I, I'm just speaking to myself, I I have a hard time going to the gas station and preaching. Such an inconvenience. Sometimes I struggle to go to my neighbors. I struggle in the drive-through to to be a gospel witness, to be an encouragement and help to people there. I'm just simply saying that if we're going to reach our world, we must be enamored with doing God's will. Number four, to reach our world, We must be earnest to gather a harvest. In verse number 35 again, he says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. So long as we continue saying someday, so long as that's that's our word, we will never, we will never do what God has called us to do if we only knew, if we only knew how fragile life was and how every man and every woman hangs in an eternal balance between life and death, we would be much more earnest to go out and to gather a harvest. You know, the fields are whited according to Christ. But we continue, we continue saying, we'll get to it in four months. It's, it's, not, it's not time yet. But you know that this isn't harvest time. Now, this is springtime. This is, when, this is when you know the planting gets done. It's not time to go out and to gather in the harvest. That's still four months out. And I just want you to know, in many respects, for, for the greater part of 2,000 years, most Christians have developed this mindset of, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be an evangelist someday. I'll tell someone about the gospel someday. Give me four months and I'll get to it. And Jesus says, quit talking about four months from now. Jesus says, the fields are white, white already. He's saying the time is not four months from now. It's not four weeks from now. It's not four days from now. No, no, the time to reach the lost is now already, already. I must tell you that one of the most difficult aspects of COVID in my mind has been how it has interrupted the work of, of missions and evangelism. I, um, I, I honestly, there was, there was a time in which I probably was receiving a letter a month from a missionary who was either retiring or they were just saying, I can't get back to the field. They won't let me in because of the COVID restrictions. And I feel bad about taking your support and being part of your missionary giving if I'm not there ministering and doing what God's called me to do. And so at this point in time, we're going to step away from being, being missionaries. That ought to be devastating to us. Already, already, the, uh, the missionaries, the number of missionaries that are around the world is at a number that is way too low already. And because of some of the restrictions that were set in place, that, that number seems to have been driven even lower. And we have, I just want you to know, we, we've, got, we've got an aging missionary, missionary force in many respects. And just a few weeks ago, I received a retirement letter from a family, I believe it, the last name is Hickey, that we supported the country of Brazil for 40 plus years. On the last month or so, dear missionary family that we've supported for probably nearly that long, the Novaks, the Kenya, Sister Novak went home to be with the Lord. Just this week, her husband sent me an email and had an opportunity to watch some of her memorial service. She was buried on the mission field. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But I'm thinking to myself, who's going to replace her? Is it possible there's some young people sitting in this room and you're sitting and eh, saying, that sounds nice. And, and maybe maybe one of these days, maybe four months from now, I'll, I'll consider something like that. And Jesus says, don't, don't talk about four months. God's put a passion in your heart and there ought to be a passion in every one of our hearts. We want to say, what can I do now to spread the gospel? And, and, and I, I just got to tell you that this this, this could be this could go on and on. I mean, some of you have contemplated working a bus route, and you've told yourself you'll do it someday. When's when someday ever going to get here? Why don't you just start doing it now? Why don't you just say, you know, I, I can work a bus route. By the way, I, I mentioned the, the little girl that was killed in the hit and run. Last night, city of Cleveland, West 50th and Clark. As I was driving home this afternoon, I received a text from a faithful bus, bus worker in our church. And she said, I thought you'd want to know about this. She said, I got a call last night at 1.30 in the morning from that family. She said, the little girl that was killed never rode our bus. She was too young to come, but her brothers came. And they called us. I'm just sitting here saying, man, we got, we got families all over this community who need the gospel now. And we sit around and say, well, one of these days I'll get to it. One of these days I'll get involved. Others have said, I'll, I'll take a class in the Bible Institute someday. I'll sing in the choir someday. I'll teach a class someday. I'll, I'll, share, I'll give a gospel tract someday. And Jesus is saying, Quit saying you're going to do it someday. Christ urges us to do it now, to do it today, to be earnest, to gather a harvest. Number five, to reach our world, it is essential that we look on the fields. We lift up our eyes and we look on the fields. You know, I have a natural tendency, I have a natural tendency to turn my eyes away from suffering and agony. I was talking to someone recently, and we were talking about sports, and I said, you know, when somebody hurts themselves in a ball game, and they show the replay a hundred times, and they zoom in real close so that you can watch the thing as it gets broken or hyperextended or whatever, and I I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I look away. And the person looked at me like, what's wrong with you? You look away, I, I, think that's the, I think that's sort of neat to see all that sort of stuff. And I'm looking at him going, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, the human body didn't, wasn't designed to move that way and I, and I don't need to see it. I, I'm not into that sort of thing. I, I already, listen, I already have a natural tendency that when I see suffering and when I see agony and when I see trouble and problems, to look away. I mean, unless it's my own family, I've I pretty much convinced myself that the person that is suffering is better off if I'm not around. And, and in, my, in my nervous, anxious state, I, I think to myself, I'll likely be, be of no help to them. I'll probably just add to the problem. And I'm just, I'm just simply saying, I've gotten really good at looking away. Looking away. Can I say that if we're going to reach this world, we to have to overcome this selfish tendency. Because here's what, here's what I think. I think many Christians have gotten really good at looking away. And we have a meeting like this, and you're going to see video presentations, and you're going to hear testimonies, and you're going to hear of of people that are suffering and struggling, people who need to hear the gospel. And and our natural tendency is to to, to not look. Why? Because of what Jeremiah wrote. Jeremiah wrote, Mine eye affecteth mine heart. And we're afraid, aren't we? We're afraid that if we look, if we see it, that we might be tempted to get more involved. And I'm just simply saying that's why we have a meeting like this, because we want you to see it. We want, Jesus wants you to see it. He says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. And if you and I are going to reach the world, it is essential that we look on the fields. Some of the greatest things that I have done to grow and develop in my passion for reaching people the gospel is to go on a mission trip and to visit some of these places. I've been in some unbelievable places. I've seen the way people live and it's nothing like here. I'll never forget years ago we were in the Philippines and the pastor there that we were working with said, I'd like to take you to preach to the, to the jail. And in my mind, I had what the jail would look like and it was nothing like what I saw. I'll never forget walking down a little hallway and on both sides, on the left and on the right, there were, there were bars there. And I thought when I got there, I'd look inside and I'd see maybe two or three men sitting there. But instead, instead, when I looked inside, I saw sitting there on the floor, practically sitting on top of each other, 45, 50 men. There were no beds there. There were no modern conveniences. There was no air conditioning and it was really, really hot. And it was first thing in the morning. And I thought to myself, all these people who don't know Christ, more than likely don't know Christ, and you multiply that by the thousands and by the millions. And I'm just simply saying, when you see things like that, it causes you to be more passionate and be more burdened to reach this world with the gospel. If we're going to reach the world, we're going to have to overcome this selfishness. You know, the disciples, had, they had gone into town, and they had likely met a bunch of people who needed Christ, but they hadn't seen them that way, had they? Instead, they they saw him as this guy sells bread and this guy sells fruit and and this guy, I'm gonna do business with him in this way and I'm gonna do business with her in that way. And in their minds, that's all they saw. They hadn't seen them as, as, as fields white unto harvest. And if we continue to see folks merely by their outward appearance, we will miss this. We must intentionally look beyond the outward, beyond the superficial nature of things and see people as souls for whom Christ died. Finally tonight, number six, to reach our world. Everyone must do their part. Would you look in verse 36 and 37? And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. Christ reveals that in his harvest there are sowers and there are reapers. While Christ is sharing this, the Samaritan woman that he had been speaking to outside this well, she had gone into town, and you know what she began doing? She began sowing in that place. Now think about that for a moment. The, the very place that the disciples had just been, buying food and grain and fruit and bread or whatever it is that they, they got while they were there in town in Sychar, they, they hadn't done any sowing, and they were the disciples of Christ, and here is this new convert. Here's this new woman who's just met Jesus, been introduced to him, and she's so passionate. She goes into town, and she begins sowing seed in the very place where the disciples had, should have been sowing seed. She brings them out, and because she had sown, Christ is able to reap. And the Bible says that they would stay in Sychar for another two days, and many, many believed on him there. The town of Sychar was evangelized, but no thanks to Christ's disciples. Will the world be evangelized unless we get involved? It's unlikely, isn't it? How can we be involved as a sower and or a reaper? Let me just share with you five things. Number one, carry gospel tracts and distribute them liberally. Everywhere you go, just give them out. People are going to turn you down. People are going to look funny at you. People are going to, I've had this happen. I've handed somebody a gospel track, and they took it, and immediately they ripped it up and threw it on the floor. That's going to happen. Keep giving out gospel tracks. Keep giving people the gospel. Don't, Don't let that deter you. Number two, learn. Learn how to give the gospel and look for opportunities to give it. Is it, is, it, is it possible that there are people that are in this church that have been saved for 20, 25, 30 years, maybe even longer, and if somebody brought somebody to you and said, hey, can you, can you share Christ with them? Can you preach the gospel to them? That you would stammer and that you would stutter and that you, you, you're not even sure that you could do it. If, 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 if that's how you feel, if that's, so be it. Learn how to give the gospel and then look for opportunities to give it. This past Sunday night at the end of our cantata, I made an appeal Seems like seems like folks are struggling to to respond in a come forward invitation. I don't know why that is. But it just seems like it. Lots of people are praying and people are here and, and just the nature of humanity. I don't want to respond in front of everybody. We tend to be very private individuals. At the end of the service, somebody somebody brought some guests with them and three ladies, three ladies were 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 wanting to be saved. They handed them off to my wife, and my wife was able to find a couple of ladies here in our church that aren't necessarily, they're not necessarily maybe on staff, but those ladies sat down and they shared the gospel, and those ladies were gloriously saved. That's what it's all about. Look for opportunities. Learn how to share the gospel and look for opportunities to give it. Number three, three, if we're going to reach the world, give generously so those who are called can go where you likely never will. I've been to Africa three times. I've been to the Philippines three times. I've been to Europe on a couple of occasions. I've preached just about everywhere. The only places I haven't preached that there are people, the only continents I've never preached where there are people, of South America and Australia. I was sharing that with a group of children the other day, and a little kid came up to me. He was a little smart aleck. And he said, you didn't say Antarctica. And I said, well, there's no people in Antarctica, but I'll, I'll, go, I'll go and preach there as well, you know, the penguins, I guess. I'm teasing. He was, he was a cute little guy. But I'm just, I'm just simply saying, listen, listen, you, you, most people in this room are never going to those places. You're never going to get there. How, how are you going to reach? How are you going to reach those people? Well, One thing you can do is you can get involved through your giving, and you can give generously. And you, you can understand, listen, the, due to the lateness of the hour, I'm going to do a little bit more. And I'm gonna give a little bit more so that, so that folks who are called, who are heading there, can get there faster and, and, and can do the work that God's called. And in four, what can you do, pray diligently for souls to be saved and for more laborers to enter his harvest fields. So it's a prayer request Jesus gave, isn't it? Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And then number five, live consistently the principles and disciplines of the gospel. Listen, we have a golden opportunity this week to become more engaged in the Great Commission. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity. Listen, Christ has given every one of us an opportunity this week to lift up our eyes and to look on the fields and to see that they are white already to harvest. You have an opportunity this week, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and all day next Sunday to be exposed to the work of world evangelism and your, your attitude and your spirit ought to be, I'm going to be here. And Lord, what is it you'll have me to do and I'm willing to do whatever it is that you want me to do. Don't miss this opportunity. For you to see the condition of the world. Don't, don't let your children miss this opportunity. For them to see the condition of this world and how they can play a part in sowing and in reaping a harvest.